0: Good evening, everyone. We're here live from the lost. Uh First time that we've been able to do this technically. Now, we won't always be able to preach live. It uh, depends on who's preaching on any given Sunday. But this Sunday, we're trying to do it. We're going ahead. Just want to have a big shout-out uh, for my two assistants. I've got my daughter, coming from uni. Uh, so I've got Isabel on graphics. And I've got Zoe on business. So if you can give them a massive set of appreciation, give them hearts, give them thumbs, They are doing so well. We're all having to learn how to do this stuff. I mean, this situation that we're in, it just seems so incredibly bizarre. I mean, there's so many things that I find myself doing that I've never done before. That the modern kind of experience that we're having right now with social isolation, social distancing, it's it's hard to get your brain around it. On one hand, we feel like we've, we've sort of really adjusted really quickly, suddenly everyone is staying at home and doing stuff and remote working and, and wishing that they had lived with a hairdresser or whatever. But on the other hand, it's just this really ceaselessly bizarre, weird experience. You can go around uh, your walk, every day you get your government-mandated bit of exercise. I've been doing my walk. And I've noticed that already we've got people kind of doing Weird social distancing chicken. So you get two alphas coming along the road from opposite directions, holding the same line, and uh, just try to chicken the other one out to see who's the last person to move out into the road. It's it just so odd. The other day, uh, Kate and I, we were walking, and actually, we had our very first argument because uh, Kate fancies herself as a little bit of an alpha. And uh, I fancy myself as the head of that house, and I'm the man, and I do the thing. And so we couldn't coordinate when we were moving out of people's ways. And so we'd have someone walking towards us, and Kate would go massively into the road, and I would go the other way, away from the road, and the poor person trying to get through would just squeeze by in between us. And Kate says, Why are you not following my lead? Why are you doing this? And I said, Look, you're, you're right out in the middle of the road. You're going to social distance yourself right under a bus. This is ridiculous. Um, but she said, look, you just need to do what I do. And so I, I laid down the law, ladies and gentlemen. I laid down the law. I said, listen, you in this situation need to listen to my comments. I am the man. I'm the head of the house. I'm the guy. I'm making the decision and we do what I say. And then I put it in behind and She said, me in the middle of the road, because that woman is really, really hard argue with. Now, all these different things that are going on, are so unusual, so strange, and honestly, I don't want to make light of the situation that we're in. Frankly, it's a little surreal, it's a little bizarre, and I'm not trying to just smooth it over and, and say that it's fine and it's just a minor inconvenience. We know that the people are dying. We know that people are suffering. We know that people are having incredible hardships. If you are one of those people right now that's living on your own, you self-isolating on your own, then give us a little heart sign. Just match that heart button because we want to know uh, who among us is, is suffering like this. So I've already spoken to and met a few people. I'm at home with my family and, and again, for some of you, you're watching you from home and it's like you move back into the family home. You're in your old bedroom, it's like you regret the child and you're just thinking, what on earth is going on. Yet in the midst of this, there's suffering, there's uncertainty, for some mental health is beginning to spray a little bit around the edges. Some of you, you're hanging on to jobs by your fingernails. Others of you, already, the worst that you thought could happen has already happened. But the fact of the matter is that something like Corona, what it does, even in the midst of the tragedy, the difficulty, and the kind of surreal weirdness of it all, is that it, it changes our perspective. Suddenly, we're seeing and doing life in a way that we never have thought that we would do it before. And it gives us the opportunity to actually step into someone else's experience. And this is the thing that I've been discovering over the last couple of days. That our situation of lockdown actually gives us the ability to identify with so much as the situation that people in biblical times are going through. This Sunday, as you know, it's Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is when we celebrate the Triumphal Entry. And so, Palm Sunday with the Triumphal Entry, if you've been following that, it's kind of getting towards the end of Lent. We have Easter Sunday next Sunday. But Palm Sunday tells the story of Jesus on the last leg of this epic journey, the final journey of his life, the last journey when he moves from the north, from Galilee, from his kind of home territory. Through down to the south to um, Jerusalem. And this last leg, this last leg, is the kind of iconic leg of the journey. So before we get into the passage, you really need to understand what's going on. So if we get our map up on the screen, you can see that here we've got uh, Jericho and we've got Jerusalem. Now, Jericho is basically, it's in the bottom of the Dead Sea Valley, it's an arid, desert, uh, rocky, And yet, Jericho itself is surrounded by oases, So it becomes this this verdant place. Herod the Great had a palace there. And Jericho literally means the place of the palm. It's the oldest inhabited city known to mankind. But it is also the lowest place on earth. And what happens is that Jesus travels from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as he travels from Jericho to Jerusalem on this final day of pilgrimage, that's a journey of around about 18 miles, and you, you rise in elevation around about half a mile. It's just his most incredible journey, and it's the journey for which Jesus now moves into Jerusalem and experiences the triumphal entry. But understanding the triumphal entry is to understand deeply how the people of Israel experienced life at that time. See, we've been under lockdown first. Two weeks, uh, we don't know how long we have to go. But imagine a situation where you're in lockdown, not for two weeks, not for two months, not for two years, but for 100 years. Where all normal life is suspended, where you are oppressed, where you are economically downtrodden, disadvantaged. And this lockdown was under the heel of the Roman Empire. But so by the time that Jesus comes, by the time he gets to Palm Sunday, moving into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, the nation of they've had 100 years of Roman rule. And in that time of lockdown, they've not been able to do normal life. They have been killed because of Roman barbarity and brutality. They've expressed hardship, And you have this things like we have right now, something's not right with the world. It's couldn't be like this. This is not the way that I wanted my life to go. This is not how I wanted to be family. This is not how I wanted to be married. This is not how I wanted to do my job. I understand the situation. There's nothing I can do about it. That's just my circumstances. But I can't wait to break free from lockdown. So, this story of Palm Sunday is a story about our hurt. Because the people of Israel are hurting and they've hurt for a hundred years. They've experienced such difficulty, such challenge and such compromise that they've been in this story of hurt and pain and suffering for all this time. And when people are hurting, when you are the lockdown, you start to really yearn for the normal things of life. You yearn for someone to bring you out of it. You yearn for someone to bring a in, to bring a cure, to bring something that will change our situation and change our reality. To bring back to the way that we know that things should be. You can survive under it. You can live under it. But you cannot wait and you cannot stop that longing, that yearning, that great desire. be able to do life the way that you were supposed to do it in the first place. And so this story of the people of Israel is the story of a hundred years of hurt. It's a hundred years of lockdown. And when you read the Bible in times like this, you begin to see a different flavor. You begin to appreciate a little bit of what these people are going through. And you need to know, particularly if you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you're just tuning in with uh, a Christian Slackmate or you found it on your Facebook feed or you're watching on YouTube, you just need to know that the Bible is written specifically for people going through times of difficulty and hardship. Anyone can do life when it's easy. Anyone can do life when your bank account is full, when your job is secure, when your health is blossoming. But it's in the tough times. It's in the tough times that we find we need a savior. We need to find a God who can intervene in our situation. And so this goes from being a story of hope and it now becomes a story of hope. We're going to, to do a little poll right now. What I want you to do is, I want you before I go on, just to make sure so that you're with me. I want you to answer this poll question, and the poll question is this: What does the Greek word "curious" mean, as in "we the curious" as the subject? But if you can uh, just give me a little bit of an answer, what does the Greek word "curious" mean? And as you go through that, let's talk a little bit about our hope. Because when you have this place of lockdown, it starts to make you look for anything that you can. Just like now, we're hoping, we're reading the news, we're, we're keeping up to date, we're, we're listening out for the rumors. When is there going to be a cure? When is there going to be an antibody? When is there going to be a solution? Who knows what to do? Well, in the same way, the Jewish people at the time, they were just combing through everything that they knew about to try and find hope in a situation. And some of them found, again, in Scripture something very, very relevant to their situation. They found the prophet Zechariah. Now, Zechariah had been a prophet that wrote and prophesied in the time of another crisis, but it was 500 years ago. But if these Jewish people read the ancient scroll of Zechariah, the prophet, they suddenly saw something. They saw something that filled them with hope, that gave them an idea that God is one day going to intervene. This lockdown will be lifted. We will have freedom, release, salvation. These are some of the words of the prophet Zechariah. This is what he said. He said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Okay, now I'm looking at the poll. We'll just close that poll. I see that most of you have put the answer that uh, "curios" means an owner and a master. Actually, you're absolutely right. It does mean owner and master. But here's the thing. It also means receptive sir, And it also means the Lord God. It means all those things So you couldn't have got it wrong. That's just an easy poll to bring you in. So if you got that right give yourself a thumbs up and feel uh, a little bit patronised but nevertheless good about yourself. But this word curious is really interesting because normally it's a it's a sign of respect and reverence. So a slave would call a master curious lord or someone who was a lowly peasant would call someone who was a high up, they call him curious, respected It's Not the kind of thing you call yourself, now, if you were the boss, if you were the master, then you would be the curious. So if you had hired men, if you had workers, if you were, let's say, a farm owner, then you would be the curious. But there's sometimes when the word curious is used when it means the Lord God. God of the universe. The God who made everything. He is the ultimate curious. Now, here's the really, really interesting thing about the passage that we're about. To read together, and I want you to just watch this and see if you get it. Because Jesus almost never spoke about himself or called himself curious. He never called himself Lord. Only on one of one or two occasions, he would use that term, maybe with another word like kind of man is Lord of, of the Sabbath, He's using it in a kind of technical way. But all the time, people would call him curious, curious, curious. For the man in the street, Curious was respected, sir. person that I can see as a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher. Respected, For his disciples, he was Curious Lord, Master. The one they follow, The one that they are in with. The one that they are looking to emulate, The one that they will lay down their lives for. But Jesus never calls himself Lord until this one particular moment. Because Jesus, when he uses the word Lord, he is very aware that the Lord God is the term given to God, that God is curious. So when it says in the commandment, you shall have no other Lord God but me, it's curious. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, it's, it's curious. And when Zechariah says, the Lord will come, the Lord will bring peace, the Lord will restore you, the Lord will come to you. And so now as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, suddenly the kind of a coyness that has been a man, a part of his ministry up to this point. He just lets that fall like an old cloak, and he steps forward into the light in his real, true identity. And this is what Luke tells us about this journey uh, up to Jerusalem. Says this. After Jesus had settled for this is in Jericho, starts in Jericho, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany. At the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it, said, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. Threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. This is just amazing. This is so so powerful because 500 years of prophecy: when the Lord will come, and He will come to you riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a colt of a donkey. The Lord will come to you. Now, Jesus, as they get through the Mount of Olives, he sends two of his disciples ahead. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go, and you will find a couple of donkeys. You'll find a donkey that no one has ever ridden. And the disciples are thinking, Well, you know, good luck with riding that one. It, it's unhound. It's not being broken. Hey, you, you can't do that unless. And that's the sound really, really special. But he says, Look, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to get a donkey. Because I'm going to approach Jerusalem on um, the donkey. And the disciples start saying, no, no way, seriously? Is They said, yes. And when they ask, say, the Lord. The disciples are in their minds, they say, no way, no way. Is this true? Is this really true? You're entering Jerusalem like this? Or they go to the guards. They, the they find the donkey just as Jesus says. They find the donkey that's never been ridden before. And uh, they say to the people, listen, the Lord needs it. The people who owned this donkey, and the donkey would be the really valuable possession in those days. It's like someone just coming in and demanding to take the keys of your car. But then suddenly realize what's going on. It's okay, the Lord needs it. But I'll oh, really? Seriously? The Lord needs it. Oh my goodness, the, cross, the donkey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, the king is coming. And nobody. Needs to tell them what to do. Without any other instruction from Jesus, they get their cloaks and they lay them on the donkeys. And then people take the palms and they lay them on the ground before Jesus. And so you get this incredible fulfillment. And so what you've got here is you've got prophecy. People are looking forward to this prophecy. And because of the prophecy of Zechariah, it gives them tremendous excitement. But there's also the element of pilgrimage. So what happens is these two things are basically coming together as one. You've got prophecy that signals in large letters the Son of God, the Lord God. Kurios is coming. He's coming to bring you peace. He's coming to bring you. He's coming to lift the lock down. But it happens at pilgrimage. Now I've been saying that Jesus came into the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Of course it wasn't Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday did not. Exist. it was Passover. And Passover was a time, once a year, when children, tens of thousands of children would come for flood into Jerusalem. They would come from all over the nation. And the, the population of Jerusalem would suddenly Muslim. They would believe it was just this incredible craft of, of people. And every pilgrim comes for Passover to remember the time that God brought us out of slavery. And we were slaves in Egypt. And we'd been slaves for 400 years. And we cried out to God. We were in lockdown in Egypt. And then God with a mighty hand, the Lord God, He delivered us. He did miracles. He did great stuff. And every year, the feast of the Passover, they remember how the angel of death passed over the Israelites and destroyed their enemies. And our people are beginning to get excited. because as Jesus is walking in, all the pilgrims, are walking with it, and as they see this pathetic symbolic act, they begin to get in on the action themselves, and they're laying down their clothes on the donkey, and then they begin to sing. This is the second word. So here's another poll that I want you to do, and I won't include you, Evie. I know that you were complaining about the poll earlier on, but I want to do this and stop complaining. So here's the poll. Sorry, that was a little bit hard. Um, you can do all things on your life. But here's the poll. What does the word Hosanna means, and you've got three options. Because in pilgrims, what would happen is they would sing a number of different songs. They will call the Psalms of Ascent. That's because Jerusalem, remember, Jerusalem is on this high hill, Mount Zion, and Jericho, where you start your pilgrimage, is the lowest place on earth, and the valley of the Dead Sea. And as you come up, 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 as you climb the mountain, as you go through the rocky, desert, dry land, you begin to get into Jerusalem, suddenly the palm trees come back, suddenly it's green and verdant. and as you do, you think, you rejoice. And they would sing this psalm. One of the psalms was Psalm 118. And this is what the psalm says. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began rejoicing to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Some of the thousands in the crowd said to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. I told you here at time. If they keep be quiet, the stones will cry out. So these pilgrims, they're coming along. Jesus at the end of his ministry, three years of miracle working and powerful teaching and changing lives and upsetting the order of everything that people thought was possible. Now the pilgrims, the pilgrims all flock towards and they're going up to Jerusalem and they sing the Psalm Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Praise be to the God that comes. Glory to God, the one that brings peace. And that word, Hosanna. That actual word means save us. It means we look for you to save We look for you to come alongside us and help us where we cannot help ourselves. And so this thing is it's the greatest it's the greatest offense in Jesus' life. And you think this would be literally his crowning moment because hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people are, are putting their clothes and they're laying down time and they're worshiping the God. And even the Pharisees can't stop it. Jesus has now thrown the nations his way. And so you see our hope, you see our hopes that something unusual happens. And this is the point where the story totally takes and unexpected. Because Luke carries on and he writes this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but that is hidden from your eyes. They will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. Instead of being buoyed with this adulation, instead of being encouraged that finally people are receiving him as the king that he is, suddenly you see this weeping this sobbing. There's something about the way that Luke talks about this, which is is kind of like a broken language, like Jesus can barely get the words out. You almost get a sense of him popping through the words as he says these things the people surrounding him, he weeps. He weeps. And so, what we have is we have on Palm Sunday. It's a story about our hurt, but so it's also a story about our hope. But here's the catch in the town. it's a story about God's heart. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know how you're feeling. How you're coping. I know that for some of you watching this, you, you're, you're really at the edge of your habit. You, you're, you're struggling with this and you have no idea how you're going to tie on with this. But some of this, this is really severely wrecked your experience and it is has done so many of your dreams. So many of you, you have to just, just throw your plans in, in the bin because this has just put a God into them. And this is the thing, that God is a God who hear hears our hurt. And God is the God who hears and knows and feels and understands our hope. But he is someone that wants you to hear his heart. And that's Jesus says, yeah, I know that you're looking for someone to save us from the Romans, but there are bigger things at stake, bigger fish to find in this scenario. Something like Corona, what it does is it strips away all our normal certainties and securities. It just tells us how prepared our life has always been. We may have lived most of the time with the illusion that we are fine, that nothing can can throw us off course. And that Corona, something like this, in all its tragedy and horror, it comes and says life is fragile. And the foundation that most of us live upon is way more prepared and weak, flimsy than we really recognize. Only of us could die at any moment. Any of us experience tragedy at any moment. All of us can be under the sun and find ourselves turned upside down. And just that the experience that we're all having right now—it it just emphasizes that. Jesus says, the thing about these kinds of issues and difficulties that we go through, they make me weep. They make me feel sorrow. But they're also to point to the fact that there's a spiritual element to life. And if there's anything good that can come out of times of challenge and tragedy and testing, it's that it can very often cause us to call out to the God of the universe. And what we find with God is not someone who's just going to come and write, I'll make Corona better. Right, I'll get rid of the Roman Empire. Actually, I am going to deal with the bigger things that you have to face. I'm going to deal with your sins. I'm going to deal with that spiritual hunting, the whole within you. I'm going to come and I am going to take care of the issues that have plagued you, that have separated you from God, that put you of the image of God that you're supposed to reflect to the world. I've come to make so much more. Well, I've come to defeat death. Not just Corona. Not just the Roman Empire. I've come to defeat death itself. And next week, when we look at Easter, Metro Easter, we're going to see exploring just how good that good news is and how Jesus defeats death once and for all. But he weeps because he knows that some won't get it. In fact, he's able to prophesy himself. He's a bit like Zechariah, but even greater. He prophesies that one day the walls of the temple of Jerusalem will be cast down. The walls of the city will be burnt down because not one stone will be left on top of another. I mean, they can't keep it. They can't. They can because there's no rhyme or reason to it. And yet, and yet, 40 years later, under the brutal uh, empire of Rome, with the emperor Titus, Jerusalem is under siege. Initially, the, the Romans, when they break through, they want to preserve the temple and turn it into a temple for Caesar. But a fire broke out and it breaks right through the temple and it, it ravages Jerusalem. And what happens is just this bizarre thing that the gold in the temple, and it was just wonderful the gold in the temple, it melts down and it starts to settle within the cracks uh, between the stones. And so these Roman soldiers, for their bounty, they begin locking the stones apart and uh, just scraping off the gold in the things that they find so that eventually not one stone is left on another. Josephus, the story, he says a million Jews were killed in that tragic time. And Jesus weeps. Jesus is full of sorrow. But here's the thing he says, he says, I'm weeping because you didn't recognize when God was coming to you. Here's, the thing that we want to ask home. This is the question. So what do you do? If you're not a believer, or if you're far from God, or if you've somehow lost faith, you need to recognise the time kind of God coming to you. Use this opportunity. Come and join with us again on Easter, Sunday. Come and find out. Look at the website. Uh, reach out to us via the comments or, or direct message us. You can contact us through the website or come directly to me. I'd love to talk to you. Or just go on the website and look at um, the messages that we've put on about how to find faith. In fact, on our website, Woodland's dot Church, Fast, Faith. And i will get you to a whole bunch of resources. But however you do, start to think, don't don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this time of crisis and difficulty and the opportunity that it gives us to be voted out of our normal complacency and start to think spiritual. Start to think about the reality of things outside of just the 9 to 5 and and the Friday night and living for the weekend. But for those of us that are believers, this is what we need to do. We need to make some noise. Just like these guys on the pilgrimage road, walking into Jerusalem, shouting out, Jesus is here, the Lord is here. Curious is here. here's salvation, here's God. who's going to change our situation. And not all of them realised the extent which Jesus would change him, that it was not just a physical thing but it was good for all the world, the Roman apostles included, that Jesus would save us from our sins, that Jesus would rid us from the guilt that we feel, that Jesus would come and reconnect us with the God who made us. If you're a believer, if you're part of the church community, if you are finding your way back to faith, then join with me in making a noise. We ramp up to Easter. Next Sunday, we've got uh, Metro Easter, and we've got a number of things that we've planned for that, and you'll see some stuff on social uh, as the next few days go by. We have meditation, good Friday, and then a big Easter Sunday, Metro Easter special. But this is such a powerful time. It's a time for people to reconnect with God. It's a time for people to open up the doors of spirituality in their life to come into a relationship with the God who's always been for and always loved them. He knows your truth. He knows your hope. And do you know his heart? Do you know the heart that God has for you? We don't want to miss the time of this time. We don't want to miss the opportunity to lay down our position, to death, to put our clothes on the ground, to give up our donkeys, to follow Jesus wherever he may go. Because listen to me here and listen well. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in a greater measure to our city, just at the very point of our need. Jesus is wanting to get involved. Jesus feels incredible compassion for your situation, for the difficulties and the challenge and the heart and the confusion that you feel right now. He is coming. And so it's a God, it's time for us to make life to share God's heart with those who are. I thank you for that time of you revealing yourself in faith clarity to people who were in such desperate need. And Father, you know the situation that we're going through in lockdown. You know the the incredible cost that we're having to pay, and the scars that we're beginning to pick up as a result of this. And we want to ask you, Lord Jesus, would you come and be us? I pray, Lord God, for anybody here that doesn't know you or has lost that mention of you, I pray that you would meet them and help them that you would reveal yourself to them, that they would not need to find your coming. And Lord, for those of us that are your followers, I pray that we would have great boldness, and that we would get caught in excitement with what you are wanting to do, that we would lay down our agenda and that we would follow you into this city to serve and to bring liberation and salvation. Lord, help us to make a noise. And I would pray that this evening we would see so many people impacted by the power of the gospel.